three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. Today's edition of the program with the Bears trade for DK Metcalf, plus Matt Eberflos reached out to Charles Tillman, We'll explain it all in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with Scott Kaplan, the host of Kaplan and Crew on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Sedano and Camp on ESPN 710 LA. We'll talk with them extensively about the Cleo Mack trade from the Bears to the Chargers, some Bears football, Chargers football too, and so much more. It's a great interview. Comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zaglou. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. I want to start today with this. It's no secret that the Bears have wide receiver problems. <laughs> we all know about this. We've talked about it a number of times on this program. The Bears do not have a number one definitive bona fide wide receiver. They may have Darnell Mooney, who was a number one for one season. They don't have somebody with experience, with a reputation around the NFL. They have a bunch of nobodies, pretty much. I mean, Mooney for sure, but who else after? St. Brown? Yikes. Maybe Pringle, if they could do well without Patrick Mahomes. The fact is, they need wide receiving help. And they have still one of the worst wide receiving rooms in the NFL period. End of story. It's not going to help out a quarterback who you say is going to be great and, more importantly, who you want to develop. You have to give Justin Fields the opportunity to develop. It's not going to be his fault if you can't surround him with something, whether it be a bolstered O-line or some better weapons offensively. I mean, even think about last year, really didn't have too many people. What, Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson was hurt part of the time and was sabotaged, and who else? That was it. Can't sit there and blame Justin Fields for not having any weapons whatsoever. I understand the Bears are probably waiting till the draft to make a significant move at wide receiver, and that's fine. You need young talent to surround Justin Fields. Maybe they could all develop together. You're talking about a great offense five years from now. But I still want the Bears to have an experienced, bona fide, proven number one wide receiver. That brings us to D.K. Metcalf. Ever since Russell Wilson was traded by the Seahawks, there's been speculation around the league that they're going to execute a full rebuild. They're close to it. And D.K. Metcalf has been mentioned in many trade rumors so far, including the Bears, believe it or not. With the trade of Tyreek Hill the other day, it's become more apparent and more obvious that it could happen. And if it does, would the Bears be willing to do it? And is D.K. Metcalf worth it is the bigger question. For those of you who don't know, D.K. Metcalf, 900-plus yards in his first three years in the NFL. He's only going to be 25 years old. Young guy. Pro bowler in 2020, 1,300 yards this past year, 967. With an injured Russell Wilson, part of the year two. Rookie year 900. Three straight seasons of good to great production. He's a deep threat. Averaging for his career 14.7 yards per reception. Justin Fields likes to throw the deep ball. I think this would be a great combination for the Bears. The 
question is, are they willing to make the trade? I know right now the Bears don't have much draft capital, no first-round picks. We've heard it time and time again. And usually, for the most part, I'm not for trading draft picks. I was even a little bit scary about the Bears trading up to get Justin Fields last year, only because that was a first-round pick. Obviously, now it made sense with the weak quarterback class, but still, I don't like trading draft picks. I don't like giving up draft capital, especially in the NFL. MLB, way different. NHL or NBA even, way different, but not NFL football. Not when it's a seven-round draft, and not when you could draft somebody in the first round who could change your franchise instantly. That's the beauty of the NFL. There is no minor leagues or G League or AHL. You start right away, if you're good. You could draft somebody who can make such a big difference for you right off the bat week one. That's why, for me, it's much harder to just get rid of draft capital. But in this case, knowing the Bears' situation, knowing what they need to surround Justin Fields with, I'm going to make a rare exception. How are the Bears today? I'm Ryan Poles. I'm on the phone right now with Seattle trying to get a deal done. Plain and simple. Seattle is not going to contend next year, maybe even for the next couple of years. And DK Metcalf is 25 years old, even if the Bears aren't going to contend next year, per se. He's still young. He will be here. He'll be capable of producing when you do become good again. And maybe another year, really, 2023. This, to me, is the best option for the Bears to have a number one true wide-receiving target. I don't know if it's going to happen. A lot of this is just speculation. And are the Bears willing to give up draft picks that they may not even have yet? Ryan Pohl's willing to do that. Well, historically, so far, no. But I suggest if Ryan Pohl's affairs management is somehow listening or watching, do it! You need a number one wide receiver. This is not a knock on Darnell Mooney by any stretch. Let's put it this way, DK Metcalf is ten times better than Darnell Mooney. Sorry. And that's not even a comparison, really. DK Metcalf has done it for three straight years with Russell Wilson. Ruben Deep Threat, Pro Bowler. Great receiver, number one. Arnold Mooney still has some proving to do as a fifth-round pick. I'd be so happy if the Bears could pull this off, even more so for Justin Fields. Look, Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles even, Andy Dalton, they had a number one. They had a bona fide number one, Allen Robinson. Especially Mitch Trubisky. What about Justin Fields? I mean, what have the Bears given him to succeed right now? Even with the draft, nothing is guaranteed. You could get a top prospect that'd be great. But what about somebody experienced and proven who knows how to do it at the NFL level? They don't have that, really, besides Mooney. And Mooney, to me, is always going to be a 1B or a 2A type receiver. That's just me. Unless he's going to put up 1,500 yards next year. Darnell Mooney's always going to be a 1B or 2A type receiver, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there are so many names I could put off right now. Guys who have been traded this year, guys who are free agents, who are better than Darnell Mooney, who the Bears could have gotten. Chose not to. Especially Tyreek Hill. I know, again, the Bears don't want to trade draft picks, but, you know, the Jets' deal had no first-round pick, and they were going to do it. I want the Bears making an offer there. My gosh, no first-round pick, Tyreek Hill, sign me up today. Even with the cap hit, even with the contract extension. That would have been so worth it. Imagine Justin Fields and Tyreek Hill. Now, there's no excuse. You've got a great weapon right there, plus Mooney. Plus, potentially a rookie. My goodness, that would have been a great wide receiver room. They didn't do it, fine. But here's your chance to do something instead. Not to sit on the sideline and wait for... Some wide receiver to sprout up. I mean, you need a veteran. You need somebody who's proven here's your chance. I know it's probably unlikely, probably won't happen, but it's a suggestion. It should be done. If I were Ryan Poles, I would do it immediately. I'd call the Seattle Seahawks and ask him, what's the price? Is he available? He's got such a bright career ahead of him, and he's already done good. He's already proven himself as a hot commodity as an NFL wide receiver. 
This is not like taking a gamble on some potential. No, this is real. We have numbers to prove it. Russell Wilson's number one wide receiver's preferred target. I mean, he pushed out Doug Baldwin. That's why Doug Baldwin partially retired. DK Metcalf became the number one over Tyler Lockett, too, whom they drafted way before him. There were guys who were in Seattle for a number of years, and they were nothing. Metcalf ascended above them. Year one, right away, he became Russell Wilson's preferred target. When Justin Fields throwing a good deep ball, and Metcalf being a deep threat, who can also put up just sheer yards, I think it'd be a great match. But we'll see if the Bears are willing to pay that price. On a shift to this, Matt Eberflus. He's impressing the hell out of me. I'll admit, maybe I reacted harshly when they hired him. For those of you who don't know, I wanted Jim Caldwell. I wanted an offensive guy who's proven. Didn't want Dan Quinn. Didn't want Jim Harbaugh. I wanted Jim Caldwell. Caldwell did great in Detroit and Indianapolis. Coach, some of the best quarterbacks had a plan, reportedly, for Justin Fields. Thought it would have been a great fit, but didn't happen. The more and more I hear about Eberflus, though, the more and more I like him. And here's an example of that. Matt Eberflus is, quote, enlisting Bears icons to help their new defense. Eberflus said this on the Peter King podcast, as to this program, too, quote, calling the alumni. That was pretty special. You look at your phone, and you got Dick Butkus. He texted me back. Then you have Julius Peppers, Brian Urlacher, Lance Briggs. It's truly amazing. Tillman, Peanut Tillman. Hopefully he's coming in for a spring practice to talk to the team. I got him talked into that, so we'll see. Peter King said maybe he can teach them the peanut punch. Eberflus said, oh, he's going to do that. He's going to. This may seem like a non-headline, but there's actually a lot in this that we're going to break down. First and foremost, it shows Eberflus loves the history and the culture of the Bears. And I know culture of losing Years of misery, but you know what? There have been a lot of great players that have come through Alice Hall, through Soldier Field and Wrigley Field from the 70s. A lot of great players who've done it. The guys he mentioned are integral and will always be revered here in Chicago. But even more than that, they know what they're talking about. Peanut Tillman knows what he's talking about when it comes to the peanut punch, when it comes to playing defense. Hey, I didn't see Matt Nagy calling up Peanut Tillman asking him to come in for a spring practice. Goes to show you, Matt Nagy, egomaniac. And Eberflus wants to learn. No ego. Again, this is the second sign we've seen from him that suggests no ego. First one was the press conference when he said, I'm going to be a CEO, I'm not calling plays, I'm going to leave that to Luke Getze. And for the defensive coordinator, too. I kept it like that. I love it. I love this. I mean, it's obvious that these alumni, have something to contribute. They know the game of football, they succeeded in the Bears' uniform. Why not bring them in? Why not be open-minded and ask them about how to play the game, how to succeed in the NFL, how to succeed with this franchise, this storied franchise? It may not seem significant or a big deal, but you know what? This establishes culture. It establishes a winning culture. It also establishes no ego again from Matt Eberflus. I loved it. When I saw this headline, I jumped all over. That's why I wanted to talk about it. Why not ask Peanut Tillman, Brian Urlacher, Lance Briggs, Dick Buckkins, talking about great players, legends for this team. Why not do it? I was overjoyed to see that. And day by day, he's making me eat my words. <laughs> Matt Eberflus. But that's fine. I'm in this for a win. I'm in this to see the team succeed. You know, I'm sick of the same old, same old with the Bears. That's why I was sick of Matt Nagy. I called for him to be fired last year, 2020. They need some sort of change. They need a new voice. They need a new direction. And they're getting that so far with Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. The only knock I have on Poles is that he's been a bit too shrewd when it comes to free agency. They need receiving help. They need O-line help. And they really haven't done too much yet. Maybe it'll change in the draft or even later this summer, which is fine. But Eberflus has really impressed me so far. Hope it continues. You know, all this stuff is speculation. And that's the key. End of the day, it depends on what he does on the field if you want to get my approval. Or anybody else's approval. Depends on how this team does, how they succeed, will they succeed. 
We all know next year is probably going to be a train wreck. Maybe they'll be competitive, but it's going to be a train wreck. But 2023, 2024, these are years the Bears should be winning. If they aren't, then we got a problem again. If there's an ego like Matt Nagy, if that develops, got a problem again. So far, I don't see any of that. And this coaching staff, remember, this whole regime came in. How about Justin Fields? Supposedly, at least. That's the official reasoning. To help out Justin Fields. And I agree. It's only fair to give the kid a chance. Can't just bury him right away and then say, oh, he's a bust, he sucks, you know, we're moving on. No. You need to equip him with the right players, right weapons, equip him with good coaching, and with a winning culture for the whole team, not just him. The Bears have not had a winning culture in a long time. Even 2018, not necessarily, because it didn't last. So even if it was there, it didn't last. Culture means sustained, means years, decades. Not, hey, one year we won, and we're going to move on and lose again. Culture means sustained. It means a number of years. It means decades. It means legacy, history. The Bears, unfortunately, don't really have that. Not recently, at least. Maybe in the 1950s and 60s, NFL championships, sure, but not Super Bowls. Not since 2000, especially. I'm going to see this team back like they were in 2005, 2006. I want to see them in a Super Bowl, but I want to see more success, not just a couple of years. This has to be a good 5 to 10 year window once it's all said and done. I hope they make it there. But this headline about Matt Eberflus certainly suggests they're on their way. Long way to go. <laughs> Let's be clear. Long way to go. But it's a good start. It's better than what Matt Nagy did. Matt Nagy got fired in four years. So I'm willing to give him some time, Eberflus. It'd still be nice if they traded for number one. It'd be nice if they had real weapons offensively and Maybe I'm a bit too premature in saying that. Maybe something will happen in the draft or free agency in the summer. But the fact is, they don't really have anybody. That's going to be the one thing that's going to hold them back. They need O-line help. They need wide receivers for Justin Fields. I will defend Justin Fields big time if they don't equip him with the right weapons. I'm going to 100%. It's unfair to judge a quarterback when you give him nothing. Last year, really didn't have anything besides maybe Darnell Mooney. And even that was a bit of a stretch. No O-line anyway, so it didn't matter what receivers he had. Give him a way to succeed. Don't just say, hey, go out there and do it. There are very few quarterbacks in the NFL who just win with no team. Very few. Even Tom Brady, although he wins most of the time, he has his guys around him. He has certain players who always play for him. Rob Gronkowski. Buccaneers have a good run game. They have three different running backs, two different guys who run, who gain four or five yards of carry. Aaron Rodgers, when he didn't have anybody, actually sucked those two years that the Packers were bad and the Bears were good and won the division. It's almost impossible for a quarterback to have nobody and win. Russell Wilson, to me, is one of the exceptions, but still, even then, not so much. Not last year. He was hurt, granted, but still. It's very rare. You need something. You cannot have a makeshift offensive line, no wide receivers, good running backs, and then a decent defense and win. You can't. On a head coach that tries to sabotage you. That's it. Give Justin Fields a fair chance. And to me, that would start with acquiring DK Metcalf or acquiring a big-name wide receiver if you can. And if not, draft somebody good. Draft a couple of guys who are good. You need a better and wide receiver on this team. You need a weapon. So I would hope that over time here, the Bears could get that done. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Scott Kaplan comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Every 
Jonesy Gloom, and we have Fat Dan Brady for today's special guest. He's the host of Kaplan and Crew on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Sit down and win Cap on ESPN 710. And the founder of Sided, please welcome Scott Kaplan to the program. Scott, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing really good, man. Glad to be back. Thanks for the invitation. Appreciate it. 100%. Thanks for being here. Um, I wanted to start with the Chargers. So last time we talked, back in October, mm-hmm. you correctly predicted that there would be a collapse. <laughs> so how do you feel when it finally happened? Um, I don't really have a lot of feelings towards it. In other words, like I'm not consumed with being right all the time. And if I would have been wrong, I probably would not have been happy um, because you got to remember, I kind of explained this to you last time when you call San Diego home and the Chargers called San Diego home for over 50 years. And most of those years, they were not good. So that's an organization that was tremendously supported in this community and they just up and left. In fact, you know, it's kind of such a weird thing Um, in San Diego County, the Northern part of San Diego County, there's a, an amusement park called uh, Legoland and Legoland just debuted uh, yesterday. As a matter of fact, the biggest um, like Lego created football stadium. So they made a, a replica of SoFi stadium in Los Angeles. Right. And representatives from the stadium and the Rams, and they all came down to be there for this, for the unveiling. And you know, who wasn't there? Not one representative of the chargers, you know, now they like <laughs> to take credit that they're the kind of the half owners of the stadium. They, they like to, to be at every event during the Super Bowl week. They wanted to kind of be like the welcome committee to Los Angeles. So they, but they won't come into San Diego. And so as San Diegans who are former Charger fans, we root for their failure. So when you ask me the question, how did I feel about their collapse? Well, I knew it was coming. This is, it starts at the top. It starts with ownership. And if they would not have collapsed and they would have had success, then I would have felt like crap. <laughs> what prompted that sort of collapse? They were four and one. They went to nine and eight. What happened? Well, look, I mean, there's the football side of things, which is, you know, something went wrong along the way. You know, uh, games were lost. Look, the, the, the Chargers are the kind of team that can go on the road and beat a Cincinnati, but they're the kind of team that would be at home and lose to, I'm just trying to give an example here, but you know, lose to uh, a, a Tennessee, for example. Um, and that's probably not even a great example. I'm not looking at last year's schedule to really remember off the top of my head, but th- it, that's just the way they are. You know, they they win the games that you kind of think they're not going to win. Wow, they're going on the road and they're playing the Bengals and the Bengals are hot. They're, they're not going to win that game. And then they go and they win it. And then they're the kind of team that they play at home and they find ways to lose games, games against teams that on paper they're supposed to be better than. And so, you know, without really giving you a full analytical breakdown as to why, it's just the way it is. It's, it just seems strange, but the, 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 the Charger organization, it doesn't matter where they play, doesn't matter what stadium they're in, doesn't matter who the coach is, general manager, quarterback. For some reason, organizationally, they always find a way to screw things up. Did um, Brandon Staley get indicted with this collapse or not really? Not really, because he's a first-year head coach who, um, when he came to the Chargers, remember, he was with the Rams the year before as their defensive coordinator, and the Rams had the number one defense in the NFL. The Chargers this year, in particular, their rush defense was ranked number 30 in the NFL. So you hired a defensive guru, and your defense wasn't very good. Which is why, by the way, they go to the Chicago Bears and they they go after a guy like Khalil Mack, who I actually think of a lot more as a pass rusher than a run defender. So um, that's kind of an interesting, you know, decision to go after a, a guy like Mack to put in that kind of money, especially a guy coming off of an injury. He may be fully healthy and he may go back to being the productive player he once was. But um, but the reason Brandon Staley gets off is first year as the head coach first year as a head coach, second year quarterback, who's playing great, uh, a defense that certainly struggled where he could go to ownership and management and say, look, this is what's wrong with our defense. I know. And so you got to help me get more, more pieces. So I don't think Brandon Staley takes the blame for last year. How'd you evaluate Herbert's second year? 
kid's an amazing player. I mean, listen, for someone like myself who wants to see this team fail, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, look, some teams you want to see succeed. Some teams you don't. You know, if you're a Bears fan, you want the Packers to be good? No way, obviously. Right. 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 So so when you're, <laughs> when you're a Charger fan, you want them to be good. When they've broken your heart and left your community, um, you want them to be bad. And so um, it's pretty clear Justin Herbert's a really good player. I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk here in the offseason as Tyreek Hill was traded from Kansas City to Miami. The question was, will will Tua become a much better quarterback because he's got more weapons? And one of the, the conversations that you hear a lot is Miami should be ashamed of themselves because they took Tua at five and the Chargers took Herbert at six when Herbert was sitting there. And who knows what Herbert might mean to the Miami Dolphin franchise two years into his career because Herbert's played every game other than the first couple that he didn't start with the Chargers, whereas Tua's been hurt for half of his career in two years. How, um, how far do you think Herbert goes? Like in his NFL career, is he only going to get better from what you saw last year? I, I think he's a great player. And I think that when you look around the NFL right now and you think about who are the great young quarterbacks in the league, you start with Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think Herbert is, is kind of in the next group behind Mahomes. You got a guy like uh, the kid up in Buffalo. You've got Burrow in Cincinnati, who kind of surprised everybody with, in his second year. And I'm probably missing others that should come off the top of my head. But I think Herbert is in that same class, like top 10 quarterback, could elevate to maybe top five. But it, it really does um, not ensure that the Chargers become a Super Bowl contender. You know, because listen, here's the thing. Philip Rivers played a different style of quarterback. Philip Rivers is a traditional drop back passer. Wasn't going to move outside of the pocket. Was going to release the ball quickly. Was going to use his brain and the speed of his arm, not the speed of his legs to make plays outside of the pocket. But the fact of the matter is Philip Rivers in, I want to say his second year as the starter made it to the AFC championship game, lost in new England and never saw another AFC championship game. And probably over the course of about 16 years or so with the chargers, I think maybe went to the playoffs four or five times, you know, and, and there were plenty of charger teams that Phillip rivers quarterback that had Ladanian Tomlinson, Darren Sproles, Antonio Gates, Vincent Jackson. Um, and the list goes on of skill players, not to mention, he actually had a really great offensive line in front of him because that was a run first Ladanian Tomlinson type team. And what, what, what does Philip Rivers have to show for all of that? That's my biggest concern. If I'm a Justin Herbert fan, which I'm, I'm a fan of the kid. I'm not a fan of the team, but will he waste his entire career with a franchise that puts talent around him, but there's something toxic inside, which is why they never get over the hump. Philip Rivers, a hall of famer. Um, not in my opinion, you know, I think that Philip Rivers had an amazing career put up hall of fame statistics. But when you look at the other quarterbacks that were playing at the exact same time from Peyton Manning to Eli Manning to Ben Roethlisberger and, and Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger are really good comps because they were part of the same draft in 2004. And both of those guys leave the NFL with two Super Bowl rings and Phillip rivers does not. Now you may say Phillip rivers was the better statistical passing quarterback than Eli Manning. And maybe you might say that about Ben Roethlisberger, but he does not have the resume. Those guys both have two Super Bowls, you know, and when you look around and you say, okay, well, once Peyton Manning retires and, and then Drew Brees retires and Aaron Rodgers is still playing and you, you just look around the league and you say, okay, Phillip Rivers was a contemporary of all of those guys. And he put up no huge numbers, but what did he really win? And look, Dan Fouts is in the hall of fame. And Dan Fouts never won a Super Bowl, never played in a Super Bowl. But Dan Fouts was a transformational quarterback who played in a transformational offense. Phillip Rivers, really great quarterback, great passer, great stats. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he will be a Hall of Famer because he's a super likable guy. The media loves him. And those are the guys that are in that room voting. But again, you compare him to his contemporaries and they all have rings and he doesn't. Scott Kaplan here on Sports Talk Chicago. Scott, let's talk Bears now. What was your reaction to their hirings at, at coach and GM? Who and who? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflos. 
Right. Both of those guys were new names to me. And listen, I'm all for um, coaches getting opportunities. So I'm not trying to knock on those guys. I'm really not. It's just that they weren't household names. You, you know, when, when the coaching carousel starts to happen, you generally hear kind of the same names over and over again. You know, you say, well, this guy has been the offensive coordinator for this team for this long, and he's probably the next guy in. And, you know, when the Bears made their hirings, I think many of us went, I, I just am not familiar with that name. Now I can look him up and look up his career and his resume and see that he's qualified. I love when guys get opportunities. Like I'll give you an example. Like the Denver Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett. Now, Nathaniel Hackett, I mean, listen, for me, I was playing college football at the University of Pittsburgh when his father was my head coach, and he was an eight-year-old little ball boy for us. Uh, so it's hard to even imagine that this guy's a head coach in the NFL in his early 40s. But Nathaniel Hackett, most people aren't like, oh, I know that name. Sure, he's he's super qualified. Um so again, when the Bears made these hirings, I thought, geez, I don't know who these guys are, but there was a day um, that uh, the owner of the Bears was being questioned about them and they were saying something because they, the new general manager and the new head coach have the same first name as the previous general manager. Right. And, the, and the, the, <laughs> the owner of the Bears was like, what do you mean? Oh, oh, I got it. Right, right, right. And so <laughs> that part of it is kind of funny. I like that. But listen, the Bears had to do something because. They they went out and they drafted a quarterback in the first round again, who they think is now the kind of talent that when you look at Mahomes or when you when you look at a Russell Wilson, I'm going to go with like an older guy versus a younger guy. They think he's that kind of a, a talent. So now you got to surround him and you got to find coaching and and you know front office people who can get him the kind of weapons that he needs. So I, I was, I mean, I wasn't surprised by the firings and I, I was just sort of surprised by the, the lack of name recognition with the hirings. You believe that Fields has the talent that everybody says he has? I'm not positive yet. I'm not really sure. You know, like, like just to give you an example, I know a lot of people think that Tua in Miami is trash. And I'm like, you know, he's two years into his career. He's, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. He came into the league hurt. After two years, I'm not ready to write off a guy like Tua. Just the same way many people thought that Joe Burrow, who got hurt in his first year, there were people that were like, yeah, he's not that good. You know, he, he couldn't win the job at Ohio State. He transferred to LSU. He had maybe the most talent of any college football team ever assembled that won a national championship. And he got to orchestrate that offense. And so maybe, maybe he's not really that good. And, and Burrow has proven that, you know, proven the doubters wrong. So my, for me with Justin Fields, I like to watch the progress. And what I saw in year one with the very poor offensive line and with a coaching staff that was likely on its way out, I'm not sure what Justin Fields is quite yet. What do you like about him when you watch him play? From what I saw this year, um, I like that he does fit the mold of the new modern day NFL quarterback. You know, back in the day, you asked about Philip Rivers back in the day, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning and Roethlisberger and Tom Brady and, and, you know, rivers and these kinds of players, that was what was in fashion, six foot five, 230 pounds, stand in the pocket, make the read, get rid of the ball. Today's NFL quarterback. It doesn't matter if you're six, five, If you're Josh Allen in Buffalo, you have a similar skill set to Patrick Mahomes. Now, anybody listening and watching, don't freak out. It's true. I mean, the Buffalo Bills had the Kansas City Chiefs on the ropes last year. And Josh Allen plays, even though he's built like Phillip Rivers, he plays like Patrick Mahomes. So for me, what Justin Fields is, is he's now part of what the new generation of NFL quarterbacks are supposed to be able to do. And he has that sort of skill set. So that's what I like about him. How much did Matt Nagy hurt Justin Fields based on what you saw too? I don't think that much because listen, you, you could have had Andy Reed coaching the bears last year, but he can't play offensive line, you know? And, and look, you, you look at a guy like Allen Robinson, right? I mean, nice player. And I think the Rams are going to, with Matt Stafford and with the other receivers around him, um, I think we're going to see the best of Allen Robinson that we haven't quite seen yet. Um, 
So I don't really know that the coaching hurt him so much. Look, if I were coaching the Bears last year, I would have much rather have had Justin Fields sit the entire season, you know, but Andy Dalton's not really going to take you anywhere. He's just a serviceable Band-Aid, you know, and I think if you're not going anywhere, the best thing to do is to play a rookie quarterback and let him take his lumps. But man, he got hit a lot last year, you know, and that's because the Bears offensive line stunk. And that was, that's not me being like a super smart analyst of the Bears because I don't watch them that closely, but it just so happens that, you know, Fields was a storyline, first round draft choice, Ohio State, Bears haven't, you know, Bears let Trubisky go, um, Andy Dalton's not going to take you to the promised land. So there was interest in the story. And that's, you know, that's why I have just a few opinions about Justin Fields from what I saw last year. You think the Bears are going about this the right way and executing a rebuild now with Ryan Pauls? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, look, Khalil Mack's a really nice player, you know, but why do you want to pay a guy, call it $20 million a year when this team needs to rebuild itself? And, and it's hard in the NFL, as you well know, to be patient, you know, but if you're the bears, while you may not want to be patient, you kind of got to be realistic. And reality is Aaron Rodgers is still in green Bay. And granted, they lost Devontae Adams. And and granted, they haven't been back to a Super Bowl since the one that they have won. But it's still Aaron Rodgers. And and he's still there. And in Minnesota, new coach, Kevin O'Connell, unknown commodity. Um, An established quarterback who has a lot of highs and lows, but kind of Phillip Rivers style. Got a big lot of stats, not a lot of wins to show for it. Um, I just think that if you're if you're the Bears, you have to be playing the long game. And the long game is four years from now, not necessarily this year. Thinking out loud here, but thinking about the Packers, when Aaron Rodgers is done, you want to be positioned to be the next team in the division. It's kind of like you look at Buffalo and you look at Miami, and they couldn't wait for Tom Brady to leave the division. And he leaves, and that's their opportunity. And even though New England was a playoff team this year, they're not who they were with Tom Brady. So you have to, I think, if you're the Bears, as much as you want to win immediately, you got to be thinking about three or four years from now. You think in three to four years, two questions. Number one, Justin Fields is a quarterback and he's developed. And number two, this team's going to be pretty darn good. Uh, hard to know for sure, obviously, and hard to really look into a crystal ball about that. But um I look at it more about the Packers and, and, and less about the bears. I know that sounds probably a little ridiculous, right? Um, The bears are a team that I don't think you really ever have to concern yourself with Detroit, Minnesota, new coach, first time head coach, aging quarterback, who's a stat machine, not necessarily purely a winner. If you're the bears, the number one thing I think that you're waiting for is, We'll get over on this division when the Packers lose Aaron Rodgers. And and so that's the long game I'm playing. More to come with Scott Kaplan in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. here on Sports Talk Chicago. Scott, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, Sonny, tell no. my audience about what it no. is and how they can use it. So, Sided is a piece of software that, let me just tell you, you know, I've been in the Sports Talk radio business for 25 years, and I just thought that's what you do. You get on the radio and you talk, and, uh, you know, you pick up a decent paycheck and you live your your, your life, you know. But I'll tell you, man, when you have four kids and they're you live in a really expensive part of the country and they're going off to college, I need another revenue stream. Uh, I was lucky enough four years ago to um, have somebody present to me a company that they thought was really a radio-based tool, and I thought I could help them. And lo and behold, before I even knew what was going on, I was the CEO of the company, and I really wasn't prepared for that. You know, I didn't. I don't have an MBA from Harvard, um, so I took over this company. I raised a bunch of money for it through a network of, of people here in San Diego. And what it has become, because originally I thought it was going to be for guys like you and me, that we could tell our audience, 
hey, come use this product and you'll have a lot of fun using it. And instead of using Twitter or instead of using Facebook to argue sports, come argue sports on, on a platform where you can earn points, where somebody's declared a winner, um, where you can win prizes. But what, what has happened, interestingly, and this kind of, I think anybody who's listening, who's got any sort of entrepreneurial spirit, you know, you start a business one way and it doesn't necessarily go that way. So you find ways to pivot and adjust. What's happened to this company since we've known each other is um, it has become a tool that publishers use. So if you're a, a digital publisher and you're trying to create more engagement, you're trying to collect more first party data, and you're trying to make additional dollars, cited is a tool that when you embed it onto your website, um, it does those three things. It, it creates greater engagement. It keeps people on, on pages by average 28% longer than pages that don't have the cited embed. Um, it collects first party data because people who get in on the conversation, they'll have to sign up for an account. They put in their email uh, that belongs to the publisher. So they get a better relationship with their audience. And then ultimately you put ads into it like any other social platform. Um, and, and that's how publishers monetize. So, you know, it was actually really interesting. I was, I was doing some research the other day on uh, the Dodgers pitching staff and I Googled um, Dodgers starting pitching staff. And one of the articles that came up was from a, a website called dodgerblue.com. And I just clicked on it because they seem to have an article about this. And unbeknownst to me, on the right side of their page, there was a cited poll. And it said, um, which uh, Dodger acquisition were you more excited about, uh, Mookie Betts or Freddie Freeman? And it was right there plastered onto their website. And they had like 600 or 500 votes so people were just like, ooh, there's a poll. I want to vote on that. I want to click on it. And they click on it. And then the, the debate panel opens up and you can have the conversation right there on the website. That's how we keep people on their sites longer. This was not what my intention was, dude. I mean, this is not the way I planned on, <laughs> on this business going. It's just what happened. It's what's happened along the way. So it's very exciting. What sort of prompted that shift? Um, it's very hard to get people to download an app. It's very hard to get people to come back to the app. Um, and it's very expensive to advertise for apps um, on, you know, places like Facebook, for example, you know, and then the cost of acquisition for a customer, when you start to do that analysis, you start to say, man, oh man, there's got to be an easier way. And so what we came up with was, well, you have all these websites. I'll give you examples, SB Nation, Fansided, uh, websites like those that they already have an established audience of people who want to come read their work. So when you have thousands of people reading those articles and then you embed a cited question onto the articles, well, we've gone to the audience rather than waiting for the audience to come to us. And so that's really what, sh what, what prompted the shift. I wanted to ask you about your career too in sports talk media. You mentioned 25 years. How'd you get your start? So I was a kicker at the University of Pittsburgh on the football team in the late 80s, early 90s. I definitely always sort of was the team spokesperson, even though I was just the kicker. And I started working in the media business in Pittsburgh in the early 90s as I was trying to make it in the NFL. I don't know if you know this or not, but at one time I signed with the Chicago Bears as a free agent kicker. But this is back in the Dave Wanstead days. Um, Kevin Butler was the only remaining bear from the 85 Super Bowl team. He was still the kicker on the team. And, um, and I, I, I was bouncing around the NFL as a free agent kicker. And I went back to Pittsburgh where I went to college because I knew all the local media people. And I got a $5 an hour job working in, in, uh, in I was working for a TV show called Steelers 94. And I was an associate producer making five bucks an hour with a maximum of 20 hours a week. Wow. And, and I, I, but I loved it and I, but I didn't, but I didn't want to just write and hold a camera or edit film. I wanted, I wanted the microphone. And, um, and I, I was, I would remember I was watching Howard Stern back in the day, 20 plus years ago with my college roommates. And they're like, you should do that. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And I started kind of getting my, my foot in the door in radio. And in the mid nineties, as the internet was kind of becoming a thing, I was able to go to work for a company called CBS Sportsline, and I was able to convince them to let me broadcast on the internet. We had like five people listening. And um, that really started it because what, what happened from there was 
um, I was trying to build a different sound and a different format where you kind of infuse pop culture into sports radio. And I'm not saying that I'm like the only guy that was thinking that at the time, but I was one of the guys thinking that at the time. And um, that, that's what's happened. I mean, my goodness, dude, sometimes I'm on the radio in LA on 710, ESPN 710. We're the Lakers station, the Ram station, LAFC. Dude, there are hours where we go without talking sports at all. <laughs> Seriously. Management so get pissed at you about that or no? Oh, no, they encourage it. Wow. Oh, yeah. The, in fact, sometimes our management will say, dude, you're talking way too much sports. Way too much. Yeah. Wow. And like our producer, our producer every day will say, fellas, we do not have to have sports in every segment. Like, let's let, look, if if there's a big story with the Dodgers, for example, uh, Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers says that, um, hey, we're going to win the World Series. OK, great. Let's talk about that. On the other hand, I mean, we spent two hours the other day talking about a, a restaurant that was trying to move into a part of L.A. And there were people protesting because they didn't like the way the waitresses were dressed. So. We, we spent two hours talking about that. Yeah, I know. So I got into it. I got into it in the early nineties when I was, um, when I was exiting football and, and trying to get into media. And then I got my first gig as a, you know, do it all kind of Swiss army knife kind of guy at a radio station in Miami and um, got lucky enough to get with this company, CBS sports line that gave me my first opportunity to be a daily host. And from there it's, it's been 25 year ride, man. What about the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio? How'd that kind of start and then obviously come back and now turn into what it is today? Yeah, so so back in, this is going, you know, this is a little sports radio history, but the second sports radio station in the country after WFAN in New York was Extra Sports 690 in San Diego. And that radio station was San Diego-based, but it was listened to and, and you know, it was sold as an LA radio station. I say sold as in like sponsors. Plus it had like USC football. It had maybe like uh, LA Kings hockey. Um, so it was, it was very much an LA radio station, 690. In 2003, 690 moved to LA full time, leaving behind so many of us in San Diego. So we um, were not going to take it lying down. We all got together with the original founder of 690, whose name is John Lynch, who's John Lynch Jr., the, uh, the, the GM of the 49ers. That's his dad one of the original founders of the, the whole format of sports radio. And we put, we got this radio station 1090, which was just like 690, 50,000 watt signal from down in Mexico that could blast throughout Southern California. We put 1090 on the air in 2003. And in 2019, it went off the air. And then in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, a gentleman named Bill Hagen asked me if, if I wanted to get back on 1090. And I was like, oh man, that's over. That ship has sailed. He's like, well, I'm buying the station and I'm putting you on. And so that's, that's how it happened in 2020. We were, we were off the air from April of 2019 until August of 2020. And now I do something that uh, very few people in, in our industry do. And I'm not tooting my own horn here because this is not, uh, this was out of desperation. Um, I do my daily podcast. I record it. I give it to 1090. They air it on radio. And while it's airing in San Diego and I'm talking about the Padres or San Diego state or life in San Diego, I'm doing live radio in LA on 710. both ESPN affiliates, both can be heard in their, in, in each other's markets, but the San Diego people listen to 1090 and listen about San Diego and the LA people listen to 710 and they listen to stuff about LA. That's unbelievable. When you think about it, I, there's probably no one else who does that. No way. So I have a friend of mine who you may know, a guy named JT, the brick. And what JT does is he does a Vegas show, um, a live Vegas radio show. And then at night he does his live national show on Mad Dog on XM. Um, there's another guy. Um, oh, gosh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I can't believe it. Steve Zabin. He's a, he does a morning show in Madison, Wisconsin. And then he does an afternoon drive show in Washington, D.C. Two totally different shows. Um, I'm the only guy, though, that's dumb enough to have two shows running simultaneously. One's on in San Diego from three to six. The other's on in LA from four to seven. Unbelievable. That is so cool. And uh, Scott, yeah, thanks. before we finish up today, last question, what's the most memorable moment you had playing football? Um, I, I would say um, probably my freshman year of playing college football, I really wanted to play and start right away. And, you know, that's every kid wants to do that. But I went to Pitt because I thought I had an opportunity. Well, three games into the season, I'm not the starter. 
But the guy who was in front of me missed a field goal, missed a couple field goals, and he'd had a bad year the year before, which is why they recruited kicker. And about three games into the season, they said, okay, you're up. So I took over the job. And probably about two weeks after that, the first game I played against uh, West Virginia, they had a quarterback named Major Harris, who was a Heisman candidate, and they were a national champion uh, competitor. They didn't win the national championship that year. But two weeks later, we're playing against Notre Dame at Pitt Stadium. It's a Saturday night game. It's on ESPN, nationally televised, 60,000 people going crazy. And Notre Dame has, I mean, they got Rocket Ishmael's the star. Um, you know, Tony Rice is their quarterback. I want to say Jerome Bettis is their running back. I mean, I feel like, and they had a lot of big stars on defense too. Chris Zorich, uh, Michael Stonebreaker. These are college football names that Notre Dame fans would certainly remember. And I remember being in that game and um, they, I think they were number one in the country. They won the national championship that year. We had them beat. We had them. We fumbled going into the end zone at before half. We fumbled in the first quarter going into the end zone. So freshman running back fumbled, sophomore quarterback fumbled. They recovered both of them. It was a 17-14 game. And I came in, this is probably in the third quarter, kicked a 45-yarder or so to tie the game at 17. They took a lead, which was, I think, 23-17. I kicked another field goal to make it 23-20. And we had them beat. And on fourth down, we, we stopped them again. Momentum had shifted our way. And we, um, we stopped them again. And when they punted, we had 12 men on the field, which resulted in a 15 yard penalty. They got the first down. And I tell you the next play, they scored a touchdown. They won the game 30 to 20, but that game, uh, because they won the national championship, Lou Holtz had written a whole book about it. I was like honored to be in the book where Holtz was talking about, he's like, who is this kid? I don't know who this kid is. He's making <laughs> these field goals. He's keeping them in the game. That game, even though it was my freshman year, um, still to this day is like one of my greatest college football memories. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Great stories and great talk as always. Uh, best wishes out in San Diego and Los Angeles and looking forward to the next time we chat for sure. Me too, man. It is so great to visit with you and thank you for having me. Great talk there with Scott Kaplan. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Scott Kaplan himself, Matt Dubia, WCKG, Jim DeTalbin, to Marlboro Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Z Global. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone.